want to say it's good to see everybody out with us this evening. We're glad you're here. Hopefully we'll have something to say that you will be able to think about and use as you go along life's way. I want to talk to you about another Bible character. I've kind of been doing some of that this week. I want to talk to you about Noah and some of the lessons that we get from Noah. You know, sometimes the story of like Noah and the ark and David and Goliath that we talked about and things like that, they get relegated to children's stories. And they are great stories for the kids. I want you to know that. And, and, and even I was going to New Mexico one time and I had a little two-seater car and I went through, a, I have a habit of going to these resale shops and things and I found this Noah's Ark and it's about yay long and yay wide and I had to figure out how to get it in that little car to get it back to the grandkids and all that. I want you to know these stories are for adults too. And there's a lot that you and I as adults need to learn about the story and lessons from Noah and his ark. It was put in there for our learning and we need to take heed to some of the things that God is telling us about this story right here. Years ago, I bought the kids a little book and you opened it up and all the animals and everything pop up. I don't know how they did it, but they could make it go back. I could never close that book once I opened it. Is that where knowing the ark is for us? Is that where some of these Bible stories are? It's a kid's book with a pop-up in it and, or a toy box or something like that. I hope it means more to you than that. I want to share with you some thoughts I've got about it. By faith... Noah. You know, that may be the most important words you ever read. By faith, Noah. You know, nobody ever did anything that pleased God unless they did it by faith. Now, I don't care for the modern translations on Romans 10, 17. And if you've got one of those modern translations, I don't really care for the messages of Christ and the message comes by Christ. I really think it loses the power and the meaning that it has in the King James. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You know, we start our five-lesson Bible studies. We start in Genesis 1 and 3. The most important words I tell people they'll ever read, and God said. Do we live by faith? Do we live by the Word? Are we directed by God's word? You know, there's two kinds of people in this world. There's people that are going to be led by their feelings. And they're going to be like a stock graph. One day they're high and they're with God and the next day down low. Merle Fielder used to say, lower in a snake's belly in a wagon rut. And, they're, they're, and they don't feel close to God because of their feelings. Let me tell you something, folks. Be led by the word of God and not by your feelings. If you do the right action, the correct feeling will follow. But if you're led by your feelings, you're going to be all over the board. And feelings are not, they are not a good way for you to determine how God's going to lead you. They're a terrible way. Be led by the word of God. At home, <clears throat> we bought some land to build a building on and all that. And I'd known the guy that sold us that land. I'd known him since we were kids. I mean, we'd known each other for years and years and years. And he said, Marlon, I got 10 acres I want to sell. And right there by the church building. And I said, well, I want to buy them. And he gave me a price. And I went back and told the guys, I said, we're going to buy 10 acres. And then we can use what we want, sell the rest of it or whatever we want to do. Now, I have some deacons at home that are practically minded people. And they said, we need a survey. And I said, why? The guy told me it's 10 acres. 
He said, they said, no, we need a survey. You know, that fellow selling me that land, he believed there was 10 acres there. And you know, I, believe, I felt in my heart there were 10 acres there. Because I know this guy. He's not lying to me. Well, the deacons won. And we had a survey. And we bought 9.3. <laughs> but you know, I, would, I was just felt certain that there was 10 acres out there. And this fellow wasn't lying to me. He really believed that was a 10-acre block. It wasn't 10 acres. You know what? We didn't go by my feelings. You know what we went by? We went by the survey, the standard. In everything you do, you have a standard. You ever gone to a gas station? There's no numbers on the pump. Do you know that the U.S. government regulates those pumps? You know why? Because if you're going to get so many gallons and you're going to pay so much for it, you want to know exactly what it is. The only thing people use to their feelings for is their religion. We don't use it for anything else in life. We have weights, we have measurements, we have yardsticks, we have tape measures. And we want a standard until it comes to our soul. And then I guess whatever we feel will be okay. That's not what the book says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Noah was warned of God of things not seen as yet. It was by faith that he operated. We need to operate by faith and not by our feelings. Being warned of God of things not seen as yet. You know, nobody had ever seen it rain. You know, the guys that saw that boat, first of all, they had to wonder what it is. Is he building a barn? I mean, what is this thing? And second of all, he's building this thing out there. I want to see the trailer he's going to haul it on. I mean, this is going to be amazing, isn't it? Nobody had seen rain. They didn't know what that was. The dew of the ground, God gave that, and that's what watered the earth. Nobody had seen it. But you know what? When the thunder started, the lightning came, the fountains of the deep were opened, and the rain came. Everybody was a believer. I'm going to tell you something, folks. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. In Hebrews 9, 27. Nobody's ever seen that. You know, I have an idea of what's going to happen after we die. But I want you to trust me on this one. I don't have firsthand knowledge. <laughs> I'm guessing like the rest of you are. Now, I did do a Bible study with a fellow at home. And I love, I love that verse in James where there is no shadow of turning. Jim, you may not have known this. You'll learn something tonight. You're not going to have a shadow in heaven. Did you know that? It's so bright with the presence of God, you're not going to have a shadow because the Bible says there is no shadow of turning. <laughs> And that's what that guy got out of that. And he said he had died and he came back and God had released him from the... You know, Paul said, I saw things that were unlawful for a man to speak when I was caught up into the third heaven. God released him from that. And for $9.95, you can know what's going to happen. But you won't have a shadow. He did give us that much. Nobody's seen that, have they? No, they haven't. Nobody's seen the judgment. Whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Nobody's ever seen nothing like that. The elements being on fire shall dissolve, be melted. Fervent heat. Nobody's ever seen that. 
But you know what Peter said? In the days of Noah, they didn't believe either, but it happened. We have been warned of God of things not seen as yet. You know what? I have never been to Pike's Peak. I've never seen Pike's Peak. Therefore, it must not exist. You go, well, Martin, that's crazy. That's crazy. Of course it exists. Everybody knows about Pike's Peak. We've been warned of things we haven't seen. We've been told of judgment that hasn't come yet. We've been told of a destruction of the earth. And all these temporal things are going to be burned up. Nobody's ever seen nothing like that. It doesn't make it untrue, folks. We've been warned. Brother Jim been preaching about some pretty serious subjects in the mornings. On how to live life. We've been warned. We've been warned of sin and the consequences of sin. And we've been warned of the judgment of God. We've been warned. Are we going to heed that warning? Now, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, it's kind of gotten messed up over the years, this guy. Bill Cosby used to have a record. Young people have to Google what a record is. But, <clears throat> and he did a deal, and I don't care what you think about Bill Cosby, but he did a deal about Noah and the ark. And he had a neighbor. And the neighbor come up and said, what are you doing? He said, I'm building an ark. And he goes, What's an ark? <laughs> I don't know, but it's 300 cubits long. What's a cubit? And in this, it was, kind of, it was funny. I really enjoyed listening to it. But you know, Noah did have a neighbor. And he was warned. Noah and his family heeded the warning of God. And Noah saved the most important people on the earth to him. That neighbor lost his family. We've been warned, people. What are you going to do with that warning? Are we just going to sit there? Are we going to put it out of our mind? Maybe it bothers us? Tom T. Hall was talking about his wife. He said, you know, I go to church with her ever so often, but I don't really like to go because they get to talking about death and judgment, and I get spooked. It's something to be spooked about. You've been warned. God has warned us of what's coming. I sure hope you heed the warning. But whether you do or not, it doesn't matter. And I saw a bumper sticker that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I believe it doesn't matter. God said it, that settles it. And whether I believe it or not doesn't change anything. We've been warned. Noah moved with fear. You know, every now and then we talk about the fear of God. And somebody will ask, Brother Marlon, don't you think that means a deep abiding respect? No, I believe he was scared. I believe God's something to be scared of. And Noah moved with fear in preparing that ark. He feared God. You know, according to Proverbs 1 and 7, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Do you fear God? I'm going to tell you something, folks. A good dose of fear will go a long ways to changing your lifestyle. Y'all remember when that F5 tornado went through Moore, Oklahoma? It ripped grass up off the ground. It tore up cows and horses and houses. I went out to a housing division 
And it looked like they were just starting to build it. It was just the slabs out there. Do you know what happened after that tornado blew through there? Storm, storm shelter, sails, say that three times real fast, went through the roof. Why did all of a sudden people go get a storm cellar? They were afraid. And they moved with fear. If that thing comes through again, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be ready. They moved with fear to save their families. I was holding a, a meeting out at Elk City just after that happened. And I pulled my RV into an RV park out there. And the first thing the manager of the RV park said is, here's where our storm cellar is. It made believers out of them. Are we afraid of God? We need to be. We read 2 Corinthians 5 and 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in the body, whether it be good or bad. You know what I'm talking about. You read a couple of verses down. Therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord. In the book of Hebrews, the writer says in chapter 10, you know, the verse that talks, the chapter that talks about going to church. In verse 31, he says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Are you afraid of God? You ought to be. And you've been warned. Noah was afraid of God. He was warned by God of what was coming. We've been warned. Move with fear. Years ago, <clears throat> when my father-in-law was still around, we went out to the cow lot and we got the skid loaders out and the welders and we cleaned those lots out and we got pipe and we got those welders and cutting torches and we built a new set of pins. One of the elders here at Plainview, Jack Hayes, came out and him and dad, when he was in the area, him and, him and Tex had a habit of farming through the windshield. <laughs> and so they drove out to that and they got out and Tex looked at Jack and he said, Jack, we messed up. And Jack goes, how do you figure that, Tex? He said, you see that bottom rung? It's only that high off the ground. And if something gets after us, we can't get under it. Jack goes, yeah, you can. <laughs> you bet you can. You know, I used, whenever we would get, get some of those bulls and things that were, that were pretty rough, I realized I didn't have to outrun the bull. I just had to outrun my brother-in-law. That's what I got to do. Merle Fielder, when he would go out and do a lot of personal work, you know what he took with him? He took milk bones. You know, dog food. Because if they got after him, he'd chunk the milk bones and give him time. I knew I could outrun Merle. I didn't have problem there. Wasn't going to get dog bit. But you know, we're afraid of things like that. Have you ever seen the movie Jaws? I saw that movie when it came out. And for a long time, we wouldn't take a bath without looking for a fin. <laughs> We're afraid of that kind of stuff, aren't we? And it makes us cautious. We went out into Florida one time. Bev and I was out there. And we decided to go wading out into the water. And, and Bev goes, well, I hope there's not any sharks out here. Now, I got a brother-in-law that does scuba diving. And he had an instructor, and he goes, what about sharks? And he said, there's a test for sharks, and I'm going to teach you how to do it. So y'all, if you don't get nothing else, you'll learn how. He said, lick your finger. He did. He said, now put it in the water. Now lick it again. He goes, okay. 
He goes, was it salty? And he goes, yeah, it was salty. He goes, then they're there. <laughs> See, now you know how. But at any rate, I told Bev, I said, oh, man, that's the movies. You don't got to worry about that. And I went wading out there and was flopping around in the water. And I didn't realize there'd been an old pier out there. And it had a piece of wood about yay long or so, and it was a black shape. And I stepped on it. I want you to know, fat boy can swim. <laughs> I was treading water, man. I want you to know that. I'm afraid of the creature, but I'm not afraid of the creator. That's what God told Job. Look at the stuff you're afraid of. And he talked about behemoth and leviathan. Whatever you think those are. And he said, you're afraid of them, but you're not afraid of me, and I created them. I hope we fear God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God unprepared. That's what the writer meant. Move with fear. I got to looking at old Noah. And I got to thinking, what, what, what do we know about him? Well, he was a good man. He had a family. Do you know that according to 2 Peter chapter 2, about number five, verse number 5, he was a preacher of righteousness. Did you know Noah did what we're doing? He went and warned people around him of what was coming and what was going on. Noah tried to save souls. He tried to save others from the wrath of God. And I got to thinking, was Noah an only child? Because I mean him and his wife and their sons and their wives, the eight souls, that was all that was saved. And so I went back to the begats. And the Bible said Lamech had Noah, that was his dad, and sons and daughters. Noah had brothers and sisters. The odds are he had nieces and nephews. You know how many he converted? Zip, zero, nada, zilch. He didn't get a one of them. Now, I've already talked to you about the dash in Methuselah. Methuselah was Noah's granddad. And Methuselah died the year of the flood. And we don't know if he died in the flood or before the flood happened. We don't know a whole lot about Methuselah. Now, you older folks, listen to me. You reckon Methuselah did to Noah what we do to these young people? You reckon old Methuselah heard Noah and he goes, you know, you get a kid up three, four hundred years old, he thinks he knows everything. <laughs> Noah was right. I hope Methuselah died, but I hope he was a righteous man and that he died before the flood happened, but I don't know that. I can't tell you that. Nobody knows. Let me ask you a question. Was Noah a good preacher? Or was he a failure as a preacher? Maybe Noah was boring. Maybe that's why nobody followed him. Maybe he couldn't tell a good story. You know what we do? We go out and we talk to people, and sometimes, folks, we get discouraged. I've known congregations that said, and I'll say, well, let's go, and let's go up here and go down the street, and let's see if we can find somebody to talk to. Well, we've done that once, and it didn't work, so I don't think we'll do that again. You know what the problem is? The problem is you are looking at the wrong thing. Do not judge me on how many people I've baptized. I don't have a clue of that. When I first started in the work, I had a little journal. 
And when somebody would, I did a study and somebody would obey the gospel, I'd write their name and the date down. Some of y'all may do that and that's fine. But I kept doing that and I got to reading one time about how Noah, Moses, took the credit that belonged to God. You remember when God told him, go speak to the rock and I'll give you the water? And Noah went out, Noah, Moses went out there, I got Noah on the brain, sorry. Moses went out there and said, ye rebels, must we fetch you water? God said, come here. You didn't do that. And because you did not glorify me in the eyes of the people, you'll not enter the promised land. And I got to thinking, I didn't forgive anybody's sin. I didn't save their soul. And you know what I did? I took that little book and I burned it. And I'm not keeping score of how many were baptized. Now, some of the ones that went south on me, I do remember those. Those are scars. But I, didn't, I don't keep up with that. And what we do is we judge. What if you supported a preacher and you supported him 40 years and he never made a single convert? Would you think you'd done a good job? You got, you're supporting a good one? Let me tell you what we do need to be judged by, though. How many people did you tell the story to? That's what's important. Now, whether they obey the gospel or not is up to them. But did you tell them the story? Noah told the story. And he did it for about a hundred years. And whether they accepted and, took and heeded the warning and got on the boat, or whether they didn't, doesn't matter to God. That's not how he judged Noah. Paul said, I have planted, Paulus watered, God gave the increase. So neither is he that soweth or he that watereth anything, but God that gives the increase. We're keeping the wrong score, people. We love scores. I'm not making this up. Maybe some of y'all have seen this. I was flipping through the channels the other day, and I found these guys that buy these storage buildings that people didn't pay their rent on. And they bid against each other to buy them, and then they go in there and try to figure out what it's worth and what they can sell the junk for. And at the end of the show, they show who is going to make the most money, and we have a scoreboard on buying abandoned storage buildings. <laughs> we are results-oriented. Our corporate world, our financial world, it's results-oriented. Don't ever say this, young fellas. If the wife's expecting, do not tell her, I don't want to hear about the labor pains, just show me the baby. That is a bad decision. Trust me. And uh, she, will, she will remind you of why that is a bad decision if you ever do something like that. But that's what we do. Just show me the results. We want results. We're result-oriented. But we're not looking at the right scoreboard. Noah was a good preacher. He was a preacher of righteousness, the Scriptures record. He didn't save anybody but his own family. His little bunch. Years ago, I heard a story about a college kid, kind of a different play on this thought that I'm fixing to give you. And he wanted to call the Church of Satan. So he called out to California, and he got the Church of Satan. And apparently you can't talk to Satan. He's busy. But you could talk to the high priest. So he talked to Satan's high priest, and this guy goes, can I help you? And this kid goes, yeah, I just want to know one thing, fella. Do you really think you and your little bunch are the only ones going to hell? 
Leah, let that one sit in for a minute. You really think Noah and his little bunch were the only ones that were right? When Jesus said, few there be that find it, what did he mean by a few? In the days of Israel going to the promised land, the men of war were 600,000. Made it. Dose, if you don't obla. Dose, two out of 600,000. That a few? In the days of Noah, on the entire planet, eight made it. People look at numbers, not God. Noah and his little bunch, they were the ones that were right, as it turned out. And you don't worry about how many follow. You tell the story. And if you are the, the, the great promise of God, if you are the last one left serving him, he won't forget you. He won't forget you. Noah preached. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit telling the story. And I think one of the reasons we do get discouraged is we go to looking at the wrong, we look for the wrong result. We look for the baptisms, which we really shouldn't do, and not at how many people we tell the story to. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. God looked down and he said, my spirit will not always strive with man, but his days will be 120 years. Now, from the time God looked down and saw that man was going to be 120 years to the time he talked to Noah, we really don't know how long that was. So we guess about 100 years. Could you endure a century of trying to convince people and them making fun of you and you would still endure and serve God for a hundred years? Would you do that? We don't like to be ridiculed, do we? Sometimes we're awful thin-skinned. He went for a hundred years, roughly. And he put up with people laughing at him and making fun of him. But he would not give up on his God. And in the end, God saved him and his family. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't quit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I don't believe that just going to church and sitting in the pew and stuff like that, I don't believe that's what saves souls. I believe what saves souls is the precious blood of Christ. But I know this. There is one way to guarantee that you won't be saved. Quit. Walk away. The only chance you have of salvation is in Jesus and his bride. That's the church. Don't quit. We were in high school. And we had a fellow that went to school with us. Now I felt, feel sorry for him at the time. I thought he was just crazy. He had gone to school at that little school for 12 years. He's a senior. We are four weeks from graduation. And he quit. Because he was going to get rich selling vacuum cleaners. And I, I, maybe he became a great vacuum cleaner salesman. I don't know what happened to him. I know eventually he came back and wanted them to let him back in school. And they didn't do that because he had 
walked away. That close to the finish line. That close. Now, some of us hung in there. Beverly was valedictorian. Guess who was dead last? <laughs> One of us in this marriage didn't know we were going to graduate till 2 o'clock that afternoon. <laughs> and her daddy still thinks it was out of pity that she married the boy. <laughs> Don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't throw your soul away. Don't walk away from the only chance you got. If Noah had walked away... He would have thrown his life away and that of his family. And he wasn't going to do it. He stayed with his God through thick and thin. By the which he condemned the world. They were laughing at him. Wonder when the laughter stopped. Did y'all remember a movie? <clears throat> no, stay with me. I'm, we're not off the rail yet. We're, st we're going somewhere with this. Y'all remember a movie called 2012? And it was about a, a meteor that hit the earth and caused a giant tsunami. And it just flooded. And they built a bunch of these, these arcs, like Noah did, to save some of the people on the planet so you could repopulate it later. In that movie, there is a line that is a classic. It shows a guy out on the street with a cardboard sign that said, Repent, the world is coming to an end. And one of those PhDs goes... I hate it when the guys with those signs are right. <laughs> Noah condemned the world. When did the laughter stop? When did they quit making fun of him? When the rain started? At what point did the scoffers, as Peter calls them, at what point did they quit laughing and start getting concerned? Remember Johnny Cash? How high is the water, mama? Three foot high and rising. Eventually the laughter stopped. And it got to be serious business. The problem is the door of the ark was shut. It was over. And there wasn't anybody else getting on that boat, folks. Reckon it got loud. Reckon Noah had people... Hollering for him. Open the door, let me in. When did the laughter stop? When they saw their kids drowning? We might laugh at God, but God is not mocked. And one day the laughter is going to stop, folks. And the guy with the cardboard signs, right? Repent, the world's coming to an end. Noah condemned the world by saying true to his God. I wonder when the world's going to believe. Is it at the minute the trump sounds or when the fire's raging? When are we going to believe? Now, nobody knows when the world's going to come to an end. I'm, I'm sure that God did not give Mo, um, Moses, Noah, did not give, I'm having a hard day there, did not give Noah a specific day and time. He prepared that ark. And when the time was ready, when God was ready, he went in and God closed the door. Now, we don't know when the world's going to come to an end, when Jesus is going to return, when the trumpet's going to sound. 
And all these things that we know are going to be burned up and melt with fervent heat. We don't know when that's going to happen. But I know when the world's going to end for most of us. Oh, I got your attention now, don't I? <laughs> when you draw that last breath. When you draw that last breath, you're not getting on the ark. When you draw the last breath, you're not finding the Lord. The opportunities are going to pass. And the world will come to an end for you. And one thing I can assure all of you in the sound of my voice, you are very mortal. Go to church with a guy that's an elder that had a best friend that was a gospel preacher out of Oklahoma. And he was going to Cove, Texas. He was in his early 20s. And we don't really remember the story, whether it was around Buffalo, Texas or Centerville. But he was headed down to hold that meeting and the car left the road. They sat there and waited and waited. He never showed up. Finally, one of the brethren come in the back and said, he's been killed. He's dead. The world came to an end that day. No more sermons. No more invitations. No more opportunities. And it was a good man. You may not be a hundred when the end comes. I'll tell you what, destiny, my youngest daughter and I, we were going and, and, and I've had to do some funerals of people that didn't make 40. And I'm driving along and Destiny's sitting there and I'm fixing to do a funeral of a young man about 35 years old. And she's probably 16, 17 at the time. And I said, Destiny, I'm so tired of burying young people. And she said, well, ain't nobody older than you, Dad. I guess it depends on where, which side of that car you're sitting on. <laughs> you may not get 70 or 80. You might get 100. But you are mortal. I have a little doctor. Had a little doctor. And I come in one day to see him. And he said, Marlon, I don't think people have to die. And I said, Doc, I don't think you do either. And he goes, yeah, but I know what you're talking about. I mean, you don't have to die. And I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, well, there was this guy in Russia that lived to be 140. What happened to 141, Doc? <laughs> and he, I said, what happened to him? He died. He might have been 140, but he died. And he said he went to England to see the queen and ate a crumpet. I've never had a crumpet, but apparently it'll kill you. And if you want to live to be 140, don't eat a crumpet, whatever that thing is. You know, I don't care if you do live to be 140. You're immortal. The world's condemned. The laughter stopped. And Noah was saved. And became the heir of righteousness. And God reiterates it again in his word. Which is by faith. He heard his God. He listened to his God. And he stuck with his God. To the very end. And he was saved and his family was saved. We often ask at the end of our, at the summer, and we talk about Noah in our studies, why was he so careful? According to all that God commanded him, so did he. 
And we realized one of the reasons he was so, or the main reason he was so careful to follow God is who was on that boat with him. And I figure most of you are like me. Cars come and go. Houses come and go. But family's important. And he didn't want to lose his. He wanted them to be saved. And that's why he believed his God and he was so special. Have you ever thought about Lot's wife? Now, this is a true story. You can't make this kind of stuff up. One of the young ladies come up to me and said, you know, we've got the building now that we can eat in. I go, yeah. She goes, I want to order the salt and pepper shakers. And I got thinking, there's got to be something up here now. I mean, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. I said, why do you want to do that? And she, and she showed me an ad. And on Amazon, I think it is, you can buy Lot's wife salt and pepper shakers. <laughs> there's some humor in that. You'll like it tomorrow if you don't right now. Why did she look back? You know, the Bible says that Lot had two daughters that were, had not known man. He had two daughters that were at home. They still lived at home. That's what that means. And then he went and talked to his sons-in-law. Plural. He had at least two married daughters. He could have had five or six. And you know what? When young people get married, generally you have babies. That's where these grandkids come from. And she's leaving and that fire is coming down and her babies are burning in that city. I'm going to ask y'all, which one of you mamas here, if this building was on fire and your babies are in here, you could walk out and not even look back? Not very many of us. I know what Beverly Kay would do. She's going to make a door. Where do you want it? We're coming in. We're going, to come in. We're going to get them babies out of there. We're going to die trying. Noah didn't want to lose his family. Lot's daughters, the married ones, they didn't go with him. That woman was losing her babies. Do you love God more than family? It'd be a good idea to keep family together then, wouldn't it? And keep them serving God. You know, there was a young man we did a study with one time, and I could tell what kind of day that boy was having. <laughs> Woo-wee. I've had some of them, actually. Um, we were doing the study, and we read about, he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, and she's holding a little baby. And she looked at me and goes, I can love God more than him. that tell you what kind of day that boy was having? <laughs> but I don't know about this. And she held that baby up. What price is too high to walk away from your God? Noah didn't want to pay that price. Noah didn't. And he wanted his family saved. So he lived his life preaching all those years, people laughing at him and making fun of him, but he wouldn't quit because he served God by faith. Are you serving God by faith? Are you walking according to the word? You've been warned. This whole meeting has been a warning of things not seen as yet. Do like Noah, fear God. Move with fear to the saving of your house as we stand and sing.